You're listening to the Glasgow Times, normally recorded by volunteers at the Bishopbriggs Media Centre, currently being recorded from homes across Greater Glasgow. Please enjoy this week's articles. Stephen Davis targets Northern Ireland caps record. Stephen Davis is not planning on hanging up his boots anytime soon as he stands ready to match Pat Jennings' caps record with Northern Ireland tonight. The 35-year-old will make his 119th international appearance when Northern Ireland face Norway at Windsor Park in the Nations League, moving him level with the goal-keeping great whose international career spanned more than two decades between 1964 and 1986. The Rangers midfielder said, It's hard for me to sum up in words. There's been a lot of hard work, dedication, sacrifices I've made to get to this point. Every time I pull on the jersey, it's a really proud moment for me. I could never say it was an aim to get to this point and I have been fortunate to have a long international career. To match an icon for me and family like Pat is something I will be able to look back on when I finish playing and be delighted with. Asked when that day might come, Davis said he will continue to take each season as it comes with no desire to walk away from the game. That's the approach I've taken last year, this year, he said. I just want to enjoy my football and the here and now, and hopefully I'll still be okay physically when the end of the season comes. That's the approach you've got to take, and I learned that from Aaron Hughes and Gareth McCauley, who played until their late 30s. Great examples for me to follow. Davis has made himself a staple of the Northern Ireland side over the past 15 years and his influence has been large, has been hugely appreciated by new manager Ian Barraclough. Barraclough said, There are not enough words to be able to describe his achievement. It shows a career of dedication. He prepares properly for every training session. People don't see that behind the scenes and that sets you up to have a career like Stephen has had. He's a shining light to the younger lads and I always mentioned him in conversations with my under-21s when I was there. If they go and apply themselves right, it gives them a chance to have a career like Davos. He's not finished yet, so don't be finishing him off by any means. Hopefully, He can lead us to the Euros and bigger things in World Cups, but that's way down the line. It's great to have him as our captain and leader. Like I say, not enough words. While Davis's name can already be inscribed on Monday's team sheet, Barakov expects to make a number of changes from Friday's draining 1-1 draw against Romania in which Northern Ireland played more than half the night with 10 men after Josh McGuinness saw red before the break. McGuinness is therefore suspended, while Jordan Jones and Matty Kennedy will return to their clubs with Knox. 
but Johnny Evans will be available again after not travelling to Bucharest for personal reasons. The Leicester man's experience could be crucial against a Norway side boasting the likes of Erling Haaland and Joshua King in attack. Though Baraclough insisted his return was not a given after Daniel Ballard's impressive debut in his place. Ballard had been due to be playing with the under-21s this week, but the withdrawals of Tom Flanagan and Evans fast-tracked his debut at the age of 20. Davis was the same age when he made his own debut, and Baraclough hopes his example can inspire the next generation. He said, There are players who will have the aspirations to match his record, but I can see Davos stretching it even further and taking it out of sight. It's a fantastic achievement. I can't say enough words about the fellow. The way he has led the country and led the troops is an example to everyone. From the Glasgow Times, date Monday the 7th of September 2020, from the news section, We're living through intimidation. Glasgow mother describes living hell after lodging 20 police complaints due to antisocial neighbours. This article is an exclusive by Ruth Sutter, multimedia journalist. A single mother residing in a Southside flat has spoken about living hell after making 20 complaints to the police regarding antisocial behaviour and drug-related incidents occurring within her housing complex. The mother of one has shared an official police log with the Glasgow Times that shows a total of 20 complaints where police have read to respond to incidents involving drugs-slash-substance misuse, assist member of the public, male face down and ground, neighbour dispute and neighbour banging down. One incident in the log also shows male inside flat, which included the mother waking up to a man making entry into her home in the early hours of the morning, uninvitedly. He allegedly dropped a diazepam tablet in his passing, which the mother has said could have led to, to her now able to crawl one-year-old son to become critically ill. The Glasgow Housing Association tenant, who wished not to be named due to safety concerns, told the Glasgow Times, I've been reporting the antisocial behaviour since the week after I actually moved in last year. Living here isn't a walk in the park. I stay here with my wee boy who just turned one in May. I woke up once to a drug addict in my home because I'd forgot to lock my door just once. I didn't lock my door and that was a mistake, but it doesn't make it okay for someone to come into my house. My wee boy was teething really badly one night and I was just so tired. He dropped Valium which gave me a massive fright because I'm an ex-addict. It was really triggering. My boy who is now crawling could have picked it up and eaten it. Then it would have been in my hand and I would have lost him. I don't, just don't want another family to go through this. The area where we staged an outfit's criminal activity and we're living through intimidation. It's a living hell. It just isn't the right environment to bring up a child to live quietly in. Several police incidents have occurred at the Southside address, including the death of a man in March. The mother has said stress has led her doctor to re-prescribe her with antidepressant tablets and diazepam. She said, This has done nothing but wear me down. I was in a really bad place before I found out I was pregnant, when I found out my wee boy changed my life around. Since I've been here though, 
I've been on four different types of antidepressants. I got prescribed diazepam and because of my past it was really triggering for me. It was very hard but the only thing that could actually help me. If it isn't throwing parties it's constantly stinking out my landing with cannabis and if it isn't that they're really really banging loud. I'm actually having to send my wee boy to his aunt so he can get a decent sleep. The housing know this, they're more than aware of it because they have broken my heart to them god knows how many times. The mother now hopes to raise awareness around antisocial living conditions in the city. A spokesman for Glasgow Housing Association said, We take antisocial behaviour very seriously and work very closely with Police Scotland to tackle it. When this customer told us about someone entering her home, we advised her this was an issue for the police and asked her to report it immediately. We were only made aware of the other complaints she made to the police a week ago. We understand the tenants want to move and arrange an interview with her to discuss her housing options in March, but she was unable to attend. We've been able to work with her since then and we've now awarded her a priority move for a new home. We'll continue to do everything we can to help her find a new home, including with other landlords. A Police Scotland spokeswoman said, Police attended a number of reports and, following inquiries, no criminality was established. And that article was an exclusive by Ruth Sutter. David Turnbull sets out Celtic aims. David Turnbull would have been forgiven for taking a confidence hit when his move to Celtic collapsed over a year ago. The former Motherwell midfielder was shocked by the discovery of a knee injury during his Hoops medical in 2019, which subsequently forced a deal to Parkhead to be scrapped at the last minute. As a result of the deal collapsing, Turnbull spent a large portion of last term in the medical room battling back to full fitness. But despite the obvious disappointment of things falling through first time round, the 21-year-old insists he always had his heart set on a move to Neil Lennon's team. Speaking to the Celtic view, he said, I was confident a chance like this would come around again, especially when I was back training. After all of the horrible stuff, I had it in my head that this was my aim and my goal and I knew nothing was going to change footballing ability-wise. Luckily, I've come back, and it's all worked out. I'm just delighted. I'll never take anything for granted ever again. Training, playing games, everything about football. I want to take in everything that happens, on and off the park, and just enjoy it as much as I can, and not look back. Now, I just want to get myself as much game time as I can. I want to give as much as I can for the team and I want to help them push for silverware in this important season. I'm looking to kick on and give more competition to the squad. I take any position, but I probably see a number 8 or number 10 box-to-box -box position. I like to do it all. I believe in my ability. I feel like I can come here and make an impact. I always believed in my ability. After the injury, not much changed, 
It was always in my head that it would come back and be the same player. I just took it day by day. Turnbull hopes to use his injury woes to keep him grounded as he aims to battle his way into the Parkhead starting 11. He added, there are some massive games ahead and that's the same every year at Celtic. There are always huge games coming up. We've got the Scottish Cup semi-final from last season still to play. This season's domestic tournaments, European qualifiers, and it's obviously an important season in terms of the league at Celtic this year as well. These are the occasions I've been looking forward to, and I'm looking forward to getting involved in. From the Glasgow Times, date Monday the 7th of September 2020, from the news section, Pupils are not be left behind by blended learning, Swanee vows, by Emma Sabliak, multimedia journalist. No pupil will be left behind by blended learning in schools, Scotland's Education Secretary has vowed. John Swanee promised the government will continue to work to ensure every young person has digital access. It comes as he said blended learning remains a necessary contingency plan should the virus get out of control again at any point. The blended learning approach has been met with anger from parents and opposition politicians. Mr Swinney's comments come as the Digital Schools Awards Programme, which recognises schools and teachers making digital technology part of the curriculum, is set to incorporate blended learning in its criteria. Among the plans are to provide resources such as more project work which can be carried out in the classroom or at home. Mr Swinney said, The experience of lockdown shows that access to technology and digital capability is, and will remain, a fundamental aspect of education in Scotland. We know that the effects of the pandemic will be long-lasting, and individual circumstances mean not every family will have access to such technology, but we will ensure that no young person is left behind. We are grateful to counsellors and teachers for their hard work on a blended learning model and that remains a necessary contingency plan should the virus get out of control again at any point. He added, the addition of blended learning through the Digital Schools Award framework will help give schools recognition for the hard work they've been doing and will continue to do during this time. Through the Education Recovery Group, we continue to work closely with councils, parent bodies, teachers, representatives and trade unions to ensure that plans are developed collaboratively for people to prepare for a blended learning mode, should that be required. Mr Swinney highlighted the Scottish Government's £30 million investment to provide computers for disadvantaged children and young people, with 70,000 devices expected to be provided in the coming weeks. This includes £25 million for digital devices for school pupils to enable them to study online. Anna Diddy, Programme Manager at Digital Schools Awards, in which 54% of Scotland schools take part, said, Our programme was established with the sole objective of supporting schools in the fast developing world of digital technologies. Recent developments have shown that digital skills are not only beneficial, but essential to modern education. We see blended learning playing a critical role in education moving forward, and its addition to our programme will help schools review their current digital learning and teaching practices. And that piece was by Emma Sabliak.
Southampton worried about the Czech Republic clash. Stuart Armstrong has revealed that his club side Southampton have been in contact to try and learn more about the situation surrounding Scotland's match with the Czech Republic. The Dark Blues are in the Czech Republic tonight against a dramatically modified Czech site who have been rocked by a positive coronavirus test in their camp. Ahead of the match, Armstrong has told how a number of club outfits have been in contact with their Scottish players to ensure they are being looked after in the safest way possible. He said, clubs have been in contact to ask about the situation but things were cleared up pretty quickly. The testing here and protocols around the camp have been top level as it has been with clubs going back in pre-season and clubs have started already. It has been a continuation of that very good testing environment. It is not a great situation. It is another incident of this pandemic that has frustrated individuals. Nothing can be taken for granted at this time and you just need to take situations as you find them. Armstrong is expected to start in the Czech Republic tonight after making an appearance from the substitutes bench against Israel on Friday. Asked if he thinks clubs will be feeling worried about letting their players out on international duty, he added, I wouldn't say they were edgy, no, I think they have trust in the organisations when you go to represent your country. Certainly, within our team, we have players from a number of different countries. But there's a lot of preparation that goes into that, a lot of contact between the club and the international countries. Everyone is very well prepared. So I would say they're quite comfortable with the situation. From the Classical Times, date Monday the 7th of September 2020, from the news section. Glasgow anti-lockdown protesters slammed by coronavirus mourner. This article is an exclusive by Hamish Morrison. A man mourning the tragic loss of a family member to coronavirus was left incandescent after he was passed by anti-lockdown protesters. Kieran O'Neill was out in the Merchant City yesterday as he was passed by a group of quite aggressive and unpleasant demonstrators who had gathered to hit out at the government's lockdown measures. He said, Lots of people have lost people to COVID-19 and we all wish it wasn't true, but the fact that these idiots think it's acceptable to march through the streets with no social distancing and wasting police time is absolutely unforgivable. Mr O'Neill, who lost his grand sister to the virus last week, added, What planet are these maniacs on? I hope that the police can make prosecutions. A 56-year-old man was charged. A police spokeswoman said, We were aware of a protest at Glasgow Green during the afternoon of Sunday, September the 6th, 2020, during which around 300 people participated in an unlawful parade to George Square. Officers attended and provided a proportionate response and the parade passed peacefully. 
a 56-year-old man has been charged in relation to this and the report will be submitted to the Procurator Fiscal. And that piece was an exclusive by Hamish Morrison. James Kearney says, Teething problems for New Look Scotland. It may have been the start of a new international campaign for Scotland, but the final outcome was one that members of the Tartan Army are thoroughly well versed in. Steve Clark's side kicked off their latest Nations League against next month's playoff opponents Israel with what was a fairly turgid and lacklustre display at Hamden on Friday night. The home side toiled in possession, but made the breakthrough when Ryan Christie converted from 12 yards after John McGinn was clattered in the penalty area, only for Aaron Zahabi to capitalise on some slack defending midway through the second half to ensure his nation grabbed a share of the spoils. It was a fairly dour performance from the men in dark blue, and the inquest has already begun in earnest after yet another underwhelming display. The playoff against the same opponents next month represents Scotland's best chance of ending their decades-long wait for the finals of a major tournament and there are lessons to be learned from Friday night's stalemate if Scotland are to reach the one-off final against either Norway or Serbia. The 3-5-2 formation that Clark opted for looked fairly good on paper, but in practice left a lot to be desired. Scott McTominay slutted in at right centre-half, and looked shaky in his new role, particularly with regards to the Manchester United's man's positioning. This is perhaps to be expected, as McTominay has barely featured at club level in defence, and it's likely that he could improve there given time, but that is a resource that is in short supply for Clark. Kieran Tierney looks solid enough at left centre-back, while McKenna, who was partly at fault for the Israelis' goal, had a decent performance, but would be looking to improve ahead of Scotland's next fixture against the Czechs this evening. A big concern, however, will be the performance of two of our best players, Andy Robertson and James Forrest, playing at left wing-back and right wing-back respectively struggle to impose themselves on the game and there are serious question marks over their suitability to the new formation. Robertson in particular had a night to forget. He was consistently slow in closing down his man and was perhaps lucky that his hesitance didn't result in a goal for the visitors earlier in the game. Defensively, the pair looked a little suspect, but in attack they contributed very little. The deep defensive line employed by Clark meant that they were often receiving the ball in their own half, unable to push forward and cause problems for the Israeli defence because of the relentless pressing 
of the away side's forwards. A higher backline would go some way to resolving this particular problem, allowing Forrest and Robertson to receive the ball in the opposition half and play on the front foot. McKenna may not be blessed with great pace and would admittedly be vulnerable to opposition counter-attacks within such a system, but the pace and defensive awareness of Tierney and McTominay would serve as a form of mitigation. The two outside centre-backs can snuff out any, spe any speculative passes on either flank, while McKenna can sit a little deeper and provide the last line of defence. There are two serious question marks over the Scottish midfield. Clark has an embarrassment of riches in central midfield, and while opting for John McGinn, Callum McGregor and Ryan Jack on Friday made sense, given the trio's fitness levels and form at domestic level, only McGinn can be said to have got pass marks against Israel. Jack had difficulty with his positioning for most of the evening, and this was perhaps due to the fact that he was playing in a relatively unfamiliar system, in a different role to the one he performs admirably at Rangers. McGregor, meanwhile, had another quiet night for the national side, as he again struggled to replicate his domestic form on the international stage. The Celtic midfielder is understandably one of the first names on Clark's team sheet at the moment, but with the likes of Stuart Armstrong, John Fleck and Kenny McLean waiting in the wings, McGregor may find his position under threat if he does not up his aim. Up top, Lyndon Dykes was a rare bright spot in what was an otherwise forgettable evening at Hamden. The former Livingston man looked very well suited to international football, using his physicality to hold up play, muscling Israel's defenders off the ball and being as industrious as ever. The deputant looks like he will have an important role in the months to come for Clark and could be the perfect foil for Christie to play off. All in all, it was a pretty poor display from Scotland at the National Stadium, and while there are clear issues that need resolved, and soon, there is reason to believe that the 5-3-2 is worth persevering with. With a higher backline, the formation could be effective, but given Clark's preference to play with a deep defence, this might not be the most realistic expectation. Liam Cooper, part of Leeds United's promotion-winning squad last term, could force his way into the defence, while the midfield still requires some fine-tuning to create a greater sense of balance. With a little more time and some tinkering, the 3-5-2 could be the best way to squeeze as many of our best players into the starting eleven as possible. New roles will need to be learned by the likes of McTominay, Jack and Forrest will need to adapt quickly, but if they can, then Clark might just have found the right system to give Scotland fans what they have craved for so long 
but rarely seen. A team that functions as the sum of its parts. Article from Glasgow Times, Friday 5th September 2020. Opinion. Should Richard Leonard or someone else lead Scottish Labour is not the puzzle the party needs to solve. By Stuart Patterson, political correspondent. I am a fan of Only Connect, a quiz show on BBC Two where you have to identify the link in a series and complete a sequence. So a topical question could go like this. Jack McConnell, Ian Gray, Keezia Dugdale. The puzzle is what links them and who comes next. Easy. All Labour leaders who have lost Holyrood elections to the SNP. But who comes next in the sequence? Is it Richard Leonard in 2021 or will it be somebody else? The second round is tougher and the last in the sequence is harder to fathom. So round two is Donald Dewar, Jack McConnell, who comes next? Answer. Labour leaders who have won a Holyrood election in Scotland. But who could be the third? Richard Leonard? Or another of the party's meagre 23 MSPs, two of whom have previously held the post? Jackie Bailey, the deputy who has never shown any great desire to be leader in her 20 years as an MSP? Anna Sawa, who lost the most recent leadership election? James Kelly, who was the first to hang out the dirty linen on the line this time? As someone seen as a new generation, who has not yet entered the leadership murky waters, Daniel Johnson, Monica Lennon, Mark Griffin. The real question is not who could lead Labour to an election in Scotland again, but how can someone lead Labour to an election in Scotland again? That question would be saved for the final of the series, when only those with the most agile brains and the ability to think not only laterally but diagonally and upside down standing on their head get to compete in. On the face of it, the problem is rooted in the referendum campaign of 2014 and the constitutional fallout that has only deepened in the six years since. Politics has become polarised between independence and the Union, and no room for anything in between or out with. Labour not backing independence saw a flood of support leave the party to the SNP. Those who are vehemently pro-Union have backed the Tories, and it has lost support even in places like Glasgow to the Conservatives. But a look at the elections tells you that while the constitutional debate is the most obvious reason for Labour's troubles in Scotland, it is not the only explanation. The party lost the 2007 election, albeit narrowly, and then 2011, substantially paving the way for the chasm of 2014 to open up. What follows in 2021 could be complete collapse which is why some in the party think removing Richard Leonard is necessary and necessary now. He would have to go next year if he lost any more MSPs in May, but by then the damage would, would be done. But Richard Leonard did not cause the decline. Look at the sequence for seats won since 1999. That sequence makes for even more sobering reading for Labour. Seats won at Holyrood elections since devolution. 
56, 50, 46, 37, 24. It has been losing support steadily and is in real danger of becoming an irrelevance. Labour has said its message is Labour values, fighting poverty, inequality and injustice. The SNP claim all of the above too. Labour wants to pool and share resources and work for a better UK, not just Scotland. The Tories claim that as well. If Labour is to regain support in Scotland to show it can put those values into practice better than the SNP, it has to find a voice and not only cut through the constitutional impasse that has made its task even harder than it was pre-2014. It also has to show what Labour's place is in the devolved Scotland it created, but whose creation has coincided with its decline. To those who want to replace Richard Leonard as leader, the question is not only who with, but what with. Get used to lockdown. Just when we thought we were starting to emerge from the miserable lockdown, along comes a setback and home visits to family and friends are out of bounds once again. Some people reacted with anger, others with confusion, and a few didn't care because they are not following rules anyway. It was inevitable really when you look at events in other parts of the country and around the world. The numbers in Greater Glasgow jumped from 14 to 69 in a matter of days, so there has to be some action. The good news is, just now, the small outbreaks can be identified and contained. But really, we should get used to it, because the nature of this virus means that it will continue to disrupt how we live our lives for a long time. Instead of another national lockdown, we are all going to have to expect and work with intermittent restrictions. It will mean holiday plans cannot be made in any certainty. It will mean some workplaces will have to close temporarily if there is an outbreak. There has been a tendency to look for someone to blame. The virus is to blame. We are in this for the long haul. Celtic target Coley has eight-figure release clause. Celtic target Omar Colley has a release clause of a £10.8 million in his Sampdoria contract, it has been revealed. The 27-year-old centre-back has been linked with a move to Parkhead this summer, with the Scottish champions reportedly making an inquiry for the Gambian defender last week. Sky Sports are reporting that the original interest has not yet been followed up with an official bid, but have confirmed that Coley has a £10.8 million release clause embedded in his deal with the Serie A side. Neil Lennon has already strengthened his defence this summer with the addition of Shane Duffy on a season-long loan from Brighton, while the club are said to be on the lookout for a new left-back, with Bolly Bolingoli expected to leave Glasgow this summer. The Northern Irishman has already re-signed Muhammad Elunusi on loan for the 2021 campaign, while Albion Ajeti 
Vasilis Barkas and David Turnbull have been brought in from West Ham, AEK Athens and Motherwell respectively. Katrina Stewart, Hostility to Asylum Seekers Cannot Go On An article published in the Glasgow Times of Tuesday the 8th of September 2020 Last week I had the privilege of meeting and interviewing Eric Nana, the father of Mercy Bogoma's little boy. Mercy's sudden death in a flat in Govan made headlines around the UK and beyond because it was believed she had starved. The confusion seemed to have come from the correct statement that little Adriel, just 16 months old, had starved. He had been in the flat for up to four days without food and water, so of course he was malnourished when his father finally found him. There was horror that a third tragedy involving Glasgow's asylum-seeking community could have happened in such a short space of time, and hundreds of people came forward to donate money to help this little boy. There is always an outpouring of rage and grief when a striking and brutal story such as this makes headlines. But each time something goes wrong, we find out about yet another cruelty that strips people of their dignity and personhood. Eric told me that he had initially thought Mercy was to move to new accommodation on the Wednesday of the week she died. He is adamant that Mears, the company tasked with providing accommodation for Glasgow's asylum seekers and refugees, was to come that day and take Mercy, who came to the UK from Uganda and Adriel, to a Mears flat. Mears and the Home Office will not comment on the situation and say Mercy was not a Mears client. But Mercy was not told her new address in advance. The charity, Positive Action on Housing, says this is standard practice. Those moving home do not find out where they are going until they get there. This is no small thing. If Mercy had known where she was going, she would have shared her address with friends and Eric. Eric, when unable to contact Mercy by phone or on Facebook, would have gone round to her new flat to check on her. It is then possible that even if his mother still could not have been saved, Adriel might have been found sooner and not suffered the trauma of days alone crying with no one to comfort him. Eric, supported by Positive Action in Housing, wants answers as to what happened over those few days and answers as to the issue with the flat move. But the striking thing here is the expectation of not being given such an important piece of information in advance. Any of us would expect to have important information about our own circumstances given to us freely. We would expect to be treated with respect. But this is just another example of a system designed to be as hostile as possible to asylum seekers and refugees. 
It adds to larger legislative issues such as the fact asylum seekers might only work in very limited circumstances. Mercy's immigration status had changed and so she had to leave her job where she worked hard and paid her taxes. Eric has a master's degree in petroleum engineering from a Scottish university and yet instead of using his skills, the system has left him in limbo. When you want to work and contribute to a country you hope to make your home, it is damaging to your mental and physical health to not be allowed to do so. And it seems counterproductive as a country to have willing workers who must stay idle and not participate fully in society. Mercy, though, continued to volunteer, even though she couldn't work for money. A real marker of the woman she was. Mercy, though, is not the only tragedy this year. In May, a Syrian refugee, Adnan Walid Elbi, was found dead at the Maclay's guest house in Glasgow city centre. Then, in June, Badreddin Abdallah Adam, a Sudanese asylum seeker, was shot dead by Police Scotland after stabbing six people at a hotel in the city centre. Both men had been moved into hotels at the start of lockdown, along with hundreds of other people seeking asylum. The situation in the hotels was not easy. There wasn't enough food and not of good quality. Residents did not have enough money to top up phones or buy extra supplies. The situation was described as deplorable. Mercy's story should make us think about how we all have a duty to press for a system that gives dignity and respect to refugees. We have a Conservative government that is trying to fearmonger, using phrases such as migrant invasion and promising to crack down on small boats sailing to Dover from Calais by using military might. A civilised society should do its part to welcome and protect refugees and asylum seekers. The indignities built into the system and allowed to go unchallenged and unchecked are a shame on the UK and we must speak out against them. Ricky and Muir set to divide and conquer. The latest stop on Laura Muir and Gemma Ricci's lucrative grand tour of Europe hits the Czech Republic tonight, with the Scots duel again out to divide and conquer. Fresh from setting the second quickest 1500 metres time of the year in Poland on Sunday, Muir drops back to 800 metres at the Golden Spike meeting in Ostrava, while Ricci who has matched the European champions' three-race winning streak, will take another crack at breaking the four-minute barrier for the first time over 1,500 metres. The 22-year-old has the ideal rabbits, with Kenya's Olympic champion Faith Kipyegon in the field, as well as fellow Scot Eilish McCaughan, a newly crowned British champion, 
Laura Waitman. Now among the elite, following a sensational 2020, few would doubt that Ricky is in the mix for an Olympic medal, whether in Tokyo or Paris beyond. She said, I can say that's definitely the target. Even going into my last few races indoors, I was going in more confident. I was staying relaxed rather than panicking. Muir, ranked third in the world over two laps, gets a rematch with Poland's Sofia Enoyu, who was second to the 27-year-old two days ago, as well as informed Northern Irishwoman Kara McGean. Jake Whiteman will bid to rebound from his surprise defeat in the men's 800 metres final at the domestic championships on Saturday with another outing over the distance in a race that incorporates UK number one Elliot Giles and Scottish rival Guy Learmonth. And the European bronze medalist wants to prove he is more than just a miler during the remainder of the outdoor season. Whiteman said, I feel like doubling up between the 800 metres and 1500 metres is how the old school middle distance used to run and I put myself in that category, which is why I don't like being called 1500 metres guy stepping down to 800 metres runner. I am an 800 metres runner as well. Meanwhile, incoming UK Athletics Performance Director Sarah Symington has vowed to build stronger links with Scotland and the home nations to unearth the next Laura Muir. The two-time Olympic cyclist faces the potentially awkward process of forging ties with Scottish Athletics Director of Performance Stephen Maguire just weeks after being part of the interview process that surprisingly passed him over for the role of Olympic head coach. But with a broader remit than her recent predecessors across the sport, Simonton insists she wants a network that serves all. She said, it is about stronger, closer relationship building and stronger working with home nations going forward. There has to be. They deliver the pathways and they are the ones who produce the talent coming up into the GB programme. With the sport facing a potential financial black hole and difficulty in hosting money-spinning diamond leagues, if it cannot replace its £2 million television deal with the BBC, there is a risk Symington acknowledges that it could mean cutbacks right across track and field. But she said, if that happens, you cut your cloth accordingly. That's ultimately what you have to do. Obviously, we will put our best foot forward to retain the consistency of lottery funding. But if that isn't the case, you cut your cloth according and prioritising where you put your money. Athlete awards will stay the same but there will be a prioritisation about where you actually put your money, whether it's sports science, sports medicine, events, competitions, staffing, 
It could be any one of those areas. Article from Glasgow Times, Tuesday, 8th of September 2020. Lifestyle. Forget Scotland Street and the School of Art. Here are nine less well-known Glasgow addresses connected to Charles Rennie Mackintosh by Anne Fotheringham, Senior Features Writer. It is now recognised as one of Glasgow's finest buildings, but the city's school board gave its famous architect a sharp rap on the knuckles when he submitted his final plans. Charles Rennie Mackintosh got a bit of a row when he added some creative flourishes to his original ideas for Scotland Street School, according to a letter which has resurfaced in Glasgow City Archives. It seems true that Macintosh had definite ideas and may have been difficult to work with, smiles archivist Michael Gallagher. In the letter, they state that they have no desire for controversy, but the attitude taken by Mr Macintosh in his interview with the committee and in his letter leaves us no alternative and called one of the art architect's embellishes absolutely objectionable from the point of view of school working. Not all of the esteemed designer's ideas were treated with disdain. His proposal to run the hot water pipes through the area where the children hung up their coats so that they would be warm and dry by the end of the day was a stroke of genius. While libraries remain closed, Michael and his colleagues, senior archivist Dr. Irene O'Brien, Lindsay Green, Nevis Tunnicliffe and Barbara Nielsen, are running Ask the Archivist, which gives people the chance to ask questions about the city's collections. More details are available on the Glasgow City Archives Facebook page. The Macintosh collection includes fascinating facts about his family. His father, William, served in the Glasgow Police Force from 1858 to 1899. He was part of the tug-of-war team, and his mother, Margaret Rennie, was from Ayr. William died in 1908, leaving an estate worth £482, almost £50,000 today, including furniture worth £123 and 50 shares in Rangers Football Club, bought in 1899. Macintosh's Glasgow buildings, like Scotland Street School and Glasgow School of Art, are well known of course, but here are five less well-known city spots connected to the famous designer and his family. 70 Parson Street, Town Head. Charles Rennie Macintosh was born here. One of his earliest works, Martyr's Public School, was on this street, a lasting legacy for the area of his birth. 2 Fir Park Terrace, Deniston. Charles's family home from the 1870s until the early 1880s. 120 Main Street. Newlywed Charles and Margaret MacDonald lived in this city centre flat from 1900 to 1906. 94 Glebe Street, Town Head. Charles's grandparents, Hugh and Marjorie, lived here in the 1850s and 1860s. 121 Great Hamilton Street. Margaret Rennie lived here in 1862. Holmwood, 82 Langside Avenue. Charles's father lived here in the 1890s. 208 Garngad Hill. Hugh, Charles's grandfather, lived here in 1872.
2 stroke 27 Regent Park Square, Strathbungo. William McIntosh lived at these addresses with his second wife, Christina Forrest, in the latter part of his life. 78 Anne Street, otherwise known as South Park Terrace and Florentine Terrace, Hill Head. Charles and Margaret lived here from 1906 until 1914, their last home in Glasgow. The couple made extensive alterations to the property, which forms the basis for the Mackintosh House at Glasgow University. They moved to London and spent time in France. Charles died in London in 1928 and Margaret in 1933. Alison McConnell says, Scotland performances raise more questions than answers. The nip in the ear isn't just down to the nights drawing in. In the aftermath of Scotland's Nations League double header that puts Steve Clark's side at the top of their group, there seemed to be some surprise within the camp that there should be any criticism at all directed towards the national side. On paper, four points out of six, and an away win to the Czech Republic doesn't look too bad at all. And yet for those who actually endured the process of how those points were collected, there wasn't much that was particularly easy on either the eye or the heart rate. And that's before we start on a Czech side that was hastily assembled with players brought out of a retirement and introduced to one another when they were handed their shirts before kickoff. That Scotland did not play well is indisputable. And contrary to some belief, that's not from an overly critical press pack looking to nitpick or gripe or searching for negativity. Many years ago, on the back of another failed qualification campaign, one player, who will remain anonymous, was doing the rounds in a busy media room and remarked that the journalists, Scottish, assembled, weren't overly keen on the country qualifying since failure offered a juicier story. In his credit, he backtracked and accepted the fairly vehement reaction from a group of professionals not known for either their aversion to high-profile tournaments abroad or their reluctance to enjoy a refreshment along the way. If being at a major tournament is a gift that has bypassed two generations of players and supporters, it is no different for those who cover the national sport for a living. And to that end, the criticisms that game on the back of Friday night's display at Hamden and then the other night in Czechoslovakia are all voiced with next month in mind. The fragility within the Scotland camp has not solidified any in recent months. And the problem now is that ahead of the Israel playoff game in October, that could be part of an opportunity to piggyback into next summer's European Championships, the last two outings have raised more questions than answers. That an exceptional young Norway side will most likely lie in wait 
should there be a successful negotiation of Israel next month, might put the gas at a peep. But the problem where Scotland is concerned is that we have all been conditioned to the cycle of failure. Football managers are like politicians in what they manage publicly and what they feel privately. Clark spoke of the system being a success and a new look back three with Scott McTominay converted from a midfielder to a centre-half as effective. Whether he genuinely sees grounds for optimism where no one else did will be revealed in the lineup for the game against Israel next month. Ultimately, he has been left with as many questions as there are answers from the last 180 minutes of football. The biggest two bonuses that have emerged from recent games has been the form of David Marshall and the discovery that Lyndon Dykes does not look out of place at international level. What goes in between the goalkeeper and the striker is the biggest source of consternation. Eight midfield players were utilised between Friday night and Monday evening. On paper, this is where Scotland looked like boasting all their riches, yet there has been no harvest from a group of players who have the talent to compete at this level. In fairness, the likes of John McGinn is still in pre-season training with Aston Villa. Kieran Tierney played one game on the left-hand side of a back defensive three where he has excelled for Arsenal, but Clark, whose appointment was arguably the most popular Scotland appointment in recent memory, has yet to mould Scotland into a team who are greater than the sum of their parts. Acclaimed for his ability to turn water into wine at Rugby Park, the miraculous touch needed to convert Scotland has been far harder to find. There is little evidence to point to sustained improvement and development in his time in the dugout, and it would be easy to fall into the traditional Scotland cycle, new manager, cautious optimism, floundering results, qualification failure, new manager. Yet it would make no sense to even think about ringing changes now, or even if there's failure next month. There is huge pressure around the national team because they carry the weight of decades of failure on their shoulders. It is too premature to start repeating the old cycle anytime soon. The Scottish Government's decision to allow a few baby steps towards the return of football fans into stadia is to be welcomed, although it remains to be seen just what lessons are learned from such small numbers. Aberdeen versus Kilmarnock and Ross County versus Celtic will be allowed to host up to 300 fans this weekend, the first time that football has opened its doors to supporters since March this year just before lockdown was enforced. It is a move in the right direction, but with localised constraints on areas around the country, the slightest bit of complacency will have the doors banging closed again. Still, 
with just 300 fans inside every shout and insult will be heard loud and clear towards a pitch that won't have much hiding room. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 9th of September 2020, from the news section, Glasgow councillors urged to support fresh plea frontline workers, COVID-19 pay rise. By Catherine Hunter, local democracy reporter. City councillors have been urged to support a fresh plea seeking a pay rise for frontline staff who risked their lives during the COVID-19 pandemic. Glasgow's new Labour leader, Councillor Malcolm Cunning, is inviting members to back his plans to engage with COSLA and the First Minister while asking the Scottish Government to administer the rise. It comes following protests and demonstrations from essential staff who believe everyone who has worked throughout the global pandemic should be rewarded for their efforts. Last month, the city's cleansing staff were joined by home care workers at a socially distanced protest to demand a COVID-19 bonus payment and for the Scottish Government to recognise the sacrifices and hard work of low-paid frontline staff. It followed a petition from GMB union members which was submitted to the First Minister in July with more than 8,000 signatures from key workers in local government and NHS Scotland. Nurses and care staff have also spoken about the heartbreaking devastation they faced after they missed out on a pay rise awarded to doctors, dentists, teachers and members of the armed forces. They say that while they appreciate the support of the public during the weekly Thursday night clap for carers, this doesn't pay the bills and the work of all key staff should be reflected appropriately. In his motion, Mr Cunning appears to agree with these sentiments. He's asking the council to express sincere condolences to the thousands of people affected by the tra- tragic loss of life as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, while recognising the enormous stresses and pressures put on everyone during this incredibly trying time. He writes, the Council notes the phenomenal response from frontline staff across the Council family, the public sector and our third sector partners who have kept the city going by delivering essential tasks and services. We believe that the coronavirus pandemic has revealed the true extent to which we are all dependent on these essential services and the staff that carry them out. The regular clap for carers and other frontline staff demonstrate the gratitude and respect for those involved and believes that gratitude should be matched by action. The Council resolves to pay tribute to all those involved in the response to the public health emergency and associated lockdown, and to add its collective voice to the calls for a pay rise for the frontline workers that is fully funded by the Scottish Government, and instructs the leader of the Council to engage within COSLA and write to the First Minister in these terms. This Thursday, September the 10th, Members will discuss the motion at the full council meeting where a decision is expected to be made. And that piece is by Catherine Hunter. Government gives green light for fans to attend pilot fixtures. The Scottish Government have given the go-ahead for a small number of fans to attend games two pilot games in the Premiership. Two pilot SPFL matches will take place in front of 300 home supporters following talks between ministers and the football authorities. 
Aberdeen versus Kilmarnock and Ross County versus Celtic on Saturday 12th September have been approved after each of the home teams submitted detailed operational plans for the safe admission of fans. Rangers vs St Mirren will not be involved in the pilot due to lockdown restrictions in Glasgow. However, no date has been set for the resumption of stadium events. Sports Minister Joe Fitzpatrick said, no final decision has yet been taken regarding the general resumption of stadia events with restricted numbers of spectators and nothing should be taken for granted at this stage. However, the Scottish Government has agreed that the Scottish Professional Football League can hold two pilot events, each with 300 home supporters only, on 12 September. Aberdeen's commercial director Rob Wicks confirmed that season ticket holders who signed up before July 10 will be prioritised for the game. A ballot of those 7,500 season ticket holders will be cast to determine who attends the match. He said, our guarantee to those who have purchased full season tickets is that they will get priority access for attending games this season and we are excited to be able to give some season ticket holders the opportunity to participate in this trial for the visit of Kilmarnock. It is their support which has helped and continues to help as we tackle the significant financial challenge in front of us and we want to do all that we can to recognise that. Our primary focus now is to build on the rigorous work that has been done so far to ensure we can host games at Petrodre and extend that to provide a safe experience for our fans who have waited patiently for this opportunity. This is a learning process for us all and will require a bit more patience before we get back to the sort of crowds we were used to seeing before the pandemic began. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 9th of September 2020. From the news section, expert warns of social unrest as lockdown support starts to decline. By Stuart Patterson, political correspondent. A public health expert has warned there could be social unrest as support for lockdown regulations declines. Professor Linda Bald, Professor of Public Health at Edinburgh University, said the government in Scotland had a greater level of support than elsewhere in the UK, but warned that support was failing. Professor Paul said, public support is going to be an ongoing issue. She was giving evidence to the Scottish Parliament COVID-19 Committee on extending the emergency coronavirus legislation. Professor Bald said, it's crystal clear that public support for the government approach in Scotland is higher than in England and other parts of the UK. That's been the case from early in the pandemic. However, she added that it was a down, on a downward gradient. She said, but public support is declining in recent months across the UK. She said, I'm very, very concerned about the next few months and the potential for unrest. We're seeing it globally around the world with groups spreading misinformation, 
gathering to spread distrust and distaste in the message and the guidance, we're going to have to be very careful. History shows that following a pandemic there's social unrest. She says support was lower among men and younger people, but that was normal in analysing risk behaviour. And that piece was by Stuart Patterson. Graham Shinney says Celtic skipper Scott Brown threatened to break his legs. Graham Shinney has revealed that Scott Brown threatened to break his legs after he put in a shocking tackle on the Celtic skipper in the final Ladbrokes Premiership match of the 2017-18 campaign. The flashpoint resulted in the pair having a feisty relationship on the park while Shinney was an Aberdeen player. Now at Derby, the Scotland international looks back with fondness on his battles with the Celtic skipper, but he does admit that his tackle on Brown was a shocker. Shinney told Open Goal, it all sort of stemmed from the bad tackle I done on him. We had to beat them to finish above Rangers that season and we were away to Celtic at Celtic Park. We were one nothing up and I put in a horrendous tackle and I didn't mean it, like I wasn't purposely going for him. I put in a bad tackle, I was late and I caught him in the ankle. He went mental, he was like, your legs are getting broken. I had been called up to the Scotland squad in the summer and he was like, I'm coming out of retirement and I'm going to break your legs in training. I love that kind of stuff. I don't think he ever wanted to do it, like he was never that kind of guy. I did Sky Sports after the game and they obviously asked me about the tackle and what I meant to say was, there were loads of those tackles in the game. In the end, I've ended up saying something like, what goes around comes around, and absolutely killed myself. They pumped us 3 nothing at Pitaudry, and they battered us. The football they were playing was unreal. He came up behind me and whispered in my ear, do you want a touch of the ball, wee man? He plays the same way as I sort of play. We were bouncing off each other. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 9th of September 2020. From the news section, BB- Glasgow BBC star Mandy Rose Jones appeared to flout rules after France jaunt. This article is an exclusive by Hamish Morrison. A social media influencer and a star of the BBC The Social, who should have been in quarantine after a French holiday, appeared to be breaking self-isolation rules. Mandy Rose and Jones enjoyed a holiday in Paris last week, but seemed to decide that the quarantine rules were not for her, as she posted pictures of her in a hairdresser and a boutique clothes shop. Ms Jones denied breaking the quarantine rules and claimed that the pictures were taken from before her holiday. She gave no evidence of this and some of her followers on social media were anchored by the impression given by the posts. One of Ms Jones' social media followers, who was alarmed after seeing her post, said 
The rules are there for a reason. We've all had six months to get used to this new normal, which is ample time, but people like Mandy think the rules don't apply to them. Rules aren't suggestions, though. They're very clear that when returning from France to protect public health, you quarantine for 14 days. She obviously knew this as she published publicly she was going into quarantine, but then posted publicly videos of her breaking it. Her actions just seem either really selfish or really idiotic. Another furious social media fan said, Mandy presents herself as an influencer online, but appears to take no responsibility towards acting or behaving as a suitable role model for what we are all experiencing. It is a car crash. She has complete control over what she wants to post, but given she documented her full holiday, including attending late night parties with no social distancing, and then within days of returning, she's visiting and tagging herself in her hairdressers, is either naive, stupid or calculated. Given she's already been in the newspaper for breaking lockdown before, these individuals who live their lives so publicly don't seem to care or accept responsibility for their own actions. There is a complete lack of respect for the rules we all have to follow, yet they still want attention and admiration from social media. She shouldn't be surprised if her followers receive her breaking the rules, are disappointed and even angered by the way in which she's putting other people at risk. Scottish government rules currently require those returning from France not to leave their homes other than to buy basic necessities if it is not possible to have them delivered. The 30-year-old self-help guru features in a documentary with TV presenter and former model Gail Porter and is the founder of the Empowered Women's Group in social media. Ms Jones posted to her Twitter account on her return from France on Saturday, August 29. Home today and then into isolation for 14 days. Was worth it for a few days in such a beautiful city. French flag emoji. On Monday, a friend of hers tweeted that she was meeting Ms Jones for a coffee. Tagging Ms Jones pornographic Twitter alter ego, her friend wrote... On my way to meet at Fee Annabelle for a coffee and long overdue catch-up. Faye Annabelle is Ms Jones' only name on OnlyFans, a website which allows viewers to pay porn stars directly and request bespoke content. A picture posted, posted on her Instagram story on Wednesday at something with a force shows Ms Jones posing for a photograph at Bull Cower Bar. On the same day, Ms Jones posted a video on Instagram location tagged at the Team NFA Transformation Gym, a private coaching gym facility. After her jaunt across the channel, Ms Jones also showed off a McKinnish shirt from Ruby Woo and Shawlands. In a picture posted to Instagram, she thanked the staff at the company's Shawland branch. Ms Jones has a considerable platform highlighting issues such as porn addiction and cut-calling in BBC The Social and was mentioned in the Scottish Parliament in March last year, congratulated by the SNP's Shona Robinson for her campaign to stop celebrities endorsing dangerous diets. The Scottish Sun revealed in June that as Scotland was still at the height of lockdown that four stars of The Social had met up for an indoor dinner party. Ms Jones apologised to the paper and said her friends were rallying to support her mental health. A Scottish Government spokeswoman said, We're absolutely clear, anyone coming to Scotland from France must quarantine for 14 days. Where there are concerns reported about the breaches of self-isolation requirements, 
We have given Police Scotland the powers to investigate and, where appropriate, issue a fixed penalty notice. And that piece was an exclusive by Hamish Morrison. Barnsley in the market for Celtic striker. Barnsley are reportedly plotting a swoop for Celtic striker Jack Aitchison. The Yorkshire Post say that the Championship outfit are keen on the Parkhead youngster after his recent form for Forest Green. The 20-year-old became the youngest ever competitive scorer for the Hoops when he netted against Motherwell in a 7-0 win in 2016, aged just 16. He scored six times during a loan spell in League Two last season. Article from Glasgow Times, Wednesday 9th of September 2020. Lifestyle. Raft, Lom and Logan. Connells in Glasgow was city's tailor to the stars. Suited and booted at Connells, the Glasgow tailor to the stars, George Raft is a dapper delight. Pictured in the photograph, with fellow Hollywood star Herbert Lom and Scots comedian Jimmy Logan, Raft is probably more famous for the roles he turned down than the ones he took on. Notable exceptions are Scarface, in which he played sleazy coin-flipping Guido, and Some Like It Hot, Billy Wilder's 1959 comedy, in which he played Spats Columbo. Raft rejected roles in High Sierra, The Maltese Falcon and Casablanca, all eventually played by Humphrey Bogart. But in June 1952, the superstar actor was in Glasgow to open a new branch of Connell's, the menswear store frequented by many stars of stage and screen when they were in the city. Cesar Romero, singer Billy Eckstein, Donald O'Connor and Abbotton Costello were all known to have popped into the Union Street Tailors. The Evening Times had announced the arrival of George Raft, the famous film star, a few days earlier, which is why, points out film historian Brian Hallman, the crowds turned out in force. Almost 2,000 people turned up, says Brian Hallman, who is from Paisley. He was a huge star at the time. He was later banned from Britain in 1967 for fronting a gambling club in London called The Colony. The Evening Times reported that Raft's visit had disorganised traffic in the centre of the city and had to be controlled by foot and mounted police after waiting two hours for his arrival. When his car arrived, hundreds of women cheering and screaming rushed forwards to mob it, continued the report, which explained that Raft had flown from London to Renfrew by a special plane. It continued, Police held the crowds back while Mr. Raft walked a few yards from his car to the entrance of the shop. Amid cheers, he cut the broad white ribbon barring the entrance and accepted a gold key tied with Gordon Tartan ribbons. According to the newspaper, other notabilities of the stage and sporting worlds present at the opening included, apart from Lom and Logan, Jimmy Mason of Third Lanark, Sammy Cox of Rangers and Jimmy Campbell of Clyde. Lom was best known for his role as the police chief brought to despair by Clouseau in the Pink Panther films.
Raft was born in New York's notorious Hell's Kitchen neighbourhood in 1895. He left home at the age of 13 to try prize fighting, but soon switched to dancing and worked in ballrooms across the city. He always claimed to have real-life connections to gangsters, and it was probably during this point in his life that those relationships began. At one point, he worked for Oni Madden, the mobster who rang Harlem's legendary Cotton Club. Raft became a star overnight with Scarface in 1932, but his later films were less successful. A romance with Betty Grable in the early 1940s ensured he was still a talked-about celebrity. In the 1960s, he was refused entry to Britain, he managed a gambling club in London, because of alleged underworld connections. He died in 1980. Did you see George Raft at Connell's? Do any of our readers remember the shop? We'd love to hear your stories. Email anne.fotheringham at glasgotimes.co.uk or write to Anne Fotheringham, Glasgow Times, 125 Fullerton Drive, Glasgow, G32, 8FG. Celtic or Rangers? Family history would not stop Lewis Ferguson making Parkhead switch. Barry Ferguson insists Lewis Ferguson would not be against joining Celtic despite his family's history with Rangers. The Aberdeen star was released from Ibrox as a youngster, but has since gone on to become one of the top midfield talents in Scotland, and Barry reckons he could go on to play for either side of the Glasgow divide. He told Go Radio, Lewis is his own guy, he'd make his own decision. I don't think it would be a factor in Lewis making that decision that his dad and his uncle played for Rangers. He's got a good head on his shoulders and I don't think that would worry him. Whether Celtic are interested in him, I don't know. I know there's been a lot of talk about Celtic and Rangers. If I'm being honest, I do think he's good enough to play for both of these teams. Each year he has improved and this season he's had a real good start. I wouldn't hold anything against him. I just want the best for him and for him to have a good career in the game. He's done it the hard way. He was let let go by Rangers as a kid. He had that knock, went to Hamilton and worked his way up and got the move to Aberdeen. He's flourished under Derek McInnes and I think if he keeps his form up that he's shown, I think Aberdeen will find it hard to hold on to him. It's time to match our gratitude with action to workers we owe so much to. An article by Eva Murray, published in the Glasgow Times of Thursday the 10th of September 2020. The past week has shown the power of people and what can happen when ordinary Glaswegians stand up in the face of injustice and fight for the services which mean so much to so many. I want to thank every third sector organisation, every service user and every concerned constituent who has been in contact with me. 
not only to raise their concerns about the community's fund recommendations, but to share their often very personal stories about what these projects mean to them and the impact if these organisations were forced to fold. It was due to their hard work and working with opposition parties like Labour that we saw the SNP minority administration make an almighty change of heart. Thanks to their pressure, we have been able to secure a £4 million transition fund for two and a half years. Labour's amendment opened up the fund to any former IGF-funded project which had been rejected for funding and crucially secured an independent review into the shambolic process to ensure it never happens again. My colleague, Councillor Martin Rhodes, had been warning the administration about the major issues regarding the Communities Fund for years, even before the COVID-19 pandemic. The distress and uncertainty which we have seen over the past two weeks could have been avoided, but unfortunately the SNP turned a deaf ear. While we have been successful in forcing a £4 million transition fund, there are still many questions to be answered that can only be answered by the administration. We set out its purpose to provide clarity and certainty to a sector much in need and upon which we rely. The SNP will now have to deliver a proposal that is true to that purpose. Today, at our full council meeting, Glasgow Labour councillors will continue with our show of thanks to those who have gone above and beyond during this pandemic to provide vital services across our city. At the beginning of lockdown, we all became familiar with the term key worker. Meanwhile, frontline staff from across the council and its ALEOs, the public sector and our third sector partners stepped up to continue delivering the essential tasks and services that kept our city going. For weeks, we stepped outside along with our neighbours to show our appreciation through applause. But that isn't enough. We need to match our gratitude with action for those we owe so much to. Last month, I joined GMB members outside the city chambers to do just that. I listened to the key workers who told their stories of lockdown and their very reasonable demands to the Scottish Government. They are the people who make our city. In times of trouble, we have looked to them. We owe them so much, and the very least we can do is make sure that they don't have to lie awake at night worrying about making ends meet. After the applause has stopped, it's time to put our words into action. Celtic plotting move for £5 million rated Queen's Park Rangers star. Celtic are reportedly plotting a swoop for Queen's Park Rangers winger Bright Osaye Samuel. The 22-year-old is out of contract in June next summer and the Scottish Sun are reporting that Neil Lennon's side could move for his signature. 
The Nigerian-born winger has already been the subject of a bid from Bruges this window, which was believed to be in the region of £5 million. QPR accepted the offer, but the winger was understood not to be keen on a move to Belgium. Crystal Palace are also monitoring him and could try to lure him to the Premier League. Article from Glasgow Times, Thursday 10th of September 2020, Lifestyle. Here's how Scotland is celebrating Glasgow's food and drink industry during the pandemic, by Catherine Hunter, local democracy reporter. Glasgow's food and drink heroes are being celebrated for their efforts during the coronavirus pandemic as part of Visit Scotland's Only in Scotland campaign. The National Tourism Organisation is optimistic e-commerce can help get cities sector through the toughest year ever, as businesses across Scotland report a rise in demand for online orders. The aim is to encourage Scots to rediscover the unique experiences on offer here following the devastating impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Overtone, a Glasgow brewery founded in 2018, is taking part in the Food and Drink Fortnight, which is running until Sunday, September the 20th. The festival celebrates Scottish food and drink heroes who supplied groceries during lockdown, as well as providing recipe ideas online, virtual cooking classes and tasting sessions while people were at home. James Kidd, head of sales at Overtone, said, The last six months have been very busy. Our sales are up on last year. We have had to constantly change how we package our beer. Chelsea midfielder Billy Gilmer targets return date. Billy Gilmer could return to full fitness within the next eight weeks as he continues to step up his recovery from the knee injury that ended his breakthrough season with Chelsea. The 19-year-old went under the knife in July as he was forced to miss the final weeks of the Premier League campaign and the FA Cup final defeat to Arsenal at Wembley. Times Sport understands Gilmer now has his sights set on a positive second term at Stamford Bridge, as he remains in regular contact with boss Frank Lampard through his rehabilitation schedule. Lampard repeatedly spoke glowingly about Gilmer as he performed with such aplomb last season with his fine form even seeing him tipped for a call-up to the Scotland squad. The former Rangers midfielder is now out of his leg brace and is undertaking light gym sessions and work in the pool as he takes initial steps on the road to recovery. Boss Lampard has significantly strengthened his squad with the additions of Hakim Zayic, Timo Werner, Ben Chilwell, Thiago Silva and Kai Havertz already this summer and Gilmer will have his own part to play for Chelsea as he looks to return to action in the coming weeks.
Susan Aiken. Glasgow has visionary ideas for the city and River Clyde's future. An article published in the Glasgow Times of Wednesday, the 9th of September 2020. The Scottish Government's Programme for Government, PFG, for 2020-21, announced by Nicola Sturgeon last week, is dominated, as you might expect, by action and investment to help the Scottish economy and Scotland's communities recover from the impact of the COVID pandemic. From growing high-quality jobs and skills to investing in low-carbon transport, from tackling poverty and health inequalities to closing the digital divide, so many of the priorities outlined by the First Minister align closely with the asks we've been making of government through our Glasgow Economic Recovery Group, which I chair. The influence of the GERG's work is clearly visible throughout the programme for government, and that's good news for Glasgow. Two particular pledges stood out. One was a £25 million investment in Mission Clyde, a joint plan by Glasgow City and Scottish governments to make the river the engine of our green and inclusive economic and social recovery. Glaswegians have, rightly, been complaining for years about how unappreciated, unconnected and underdeveloped big parts of our river banks are, and communities along the Clyde also suffer disproportionately from deprivation, and now the impact of COVID-19. The funding announced in the PFG, which comes in addition to £10 million announced just a few weeks ago, will support pioneering heat networks on the river, which will reduce local fuel bills as well as carbon emissions. Mission Clyde is an example of true partnership working at city, metropolitan and national level, stemming from a shared ambition to deliver jobs, investment and infrastructure for the people and places along the river that made the city of Glasgow, but which have been neglected for far too long. The second commitment was to work with us in Glasgow and our neighbouring councils to develop a community wealth-building pilot for the Glasgow City region. This was another key proposal of the City's Economic Recovery Group and would, I believe, help us make real progress in our ambitions to transform the greater Glasgow economy to one that is fairer more sustainable and much more inclusive of the communities who have too often not seen the benefits of economic growth. Community wealth building is an idea that's been around for a long time but has become a bit of a buzzword in more recent years with a number of Scottish councils adopting it as a core approach for their local areas. There are various definitions but at its heart, it's about using combined local spending, buying, making and investing power with the aim of retaining wealth in the local economy and using local enterprise, labour, talent and finance to own, build and produce the things that we need. Glasgow City Council has been pioneering a range of community wealth building activities since the SNP formed the City Administration in 2017.
To mention just a few examples, there's our Social Enterprise Action Plan, supporting businesses whose profit is used to deliver social and environmental change. Our Fair Work City Programme, which targets inward investment and business support towards companies that pay the living wage, provides security of contract and support employees to develop in their careers. Our Sustainable Procurement Strategy, which aims to use our considerable spending power as an organisation that buys a huge amount of goods and services to create community benefits and support local jobs and businesses. And Circular Glasgow, a partnership with the Chamber of Commerce and Zero Waste Scotland, to promote a local economy that designs out waste and pollution and keeps products and materials in use. Look out for a major city-wide circular economy action plan coming very soon. These and many other initiatives all support our ambitions to organise Glasgow's local economy in a fairer, more sustainable and healthier way. But we want to go further. By scaling up our community wealth building plans to a regional level, we can really harness the power of Glasgow's assets as a truly global metropolitan city to connect with efforts to eradicate poverty and create better life chances in our communities. As I've already noted, Glasgow City Council spends huge amounts of money on goods and services. Where and to whom that money goes can make a real difference to people and places. Combine that with our neighbouring local authorities, the difference is even bigger. Add in our other public service providers, the NHS and the police, for example, and the impact grows again. But if we were also to secure a commitment from our major city and metropolitan institutions, see our universities and colleges, Glasgow Airport, the ScotRail Alliance, the many big international corporate employers we host across the city region, to ensure even some of their spending is directed towards making things and creating jobs and enterprises in our local communities, and with the third sector helping to organise and empower people at local level to respond to the opportunities that would create, well, then we have the potential for something truly transformative, a partnership of power between communities, public bodies and private companies to change neighbourhoods and life chances for the better and for good. There aren't any magic bullets to deal with the complex challenges of poverty and inequality, not in Glasgow or anywhere else, but by combining the resilience and imagination of our communities with the strength and influence of our standing as a global metropolis, we can deliver more of the right kind of change for the city. The global pandemic has created unprecedented economic and social challenges which we are only now starting to see emerge. The ambition and vision within Mission Clyde and the community wealth building pilot will put our city 
and its communities right at the heart of Scotland's recovery. Brown vows to prove doubters wrong. Scott Brown says that he feels as though he is 21 again, as the Celtic captain vowed to prove his doubters wrong all over again. The midfielder has started all six of Celtic's competitive fixtures so far this season, and he says he still has plenty left in the tank as the champions gear up for five fixtures before the next international break. And he has no doubts that at 35, he is still able to go the distance in the Premiership as he looks to lead Celtic to a 10th consecutive title. I'm feeling like 21 again, don't you worry, Brown said when asked how he was coping physically. I had four days off there, so I'm all right. The international break is great for me. I get to recharge my batteries and I get to go again. It's always hard here. You've got a game every three days, but that's why I came here in the first place. You, you don't want to train as much. You want to play those games, and that's where that winning mentality comes in. You win the game, you go on to the next game, you win that one, and you make sure you continue doing that. If you asked every single lad in the squad, they would rather play the game than have a two or three days recovery. For us, it's all about playing games and winning games. Brown is pleased that Celtic will be able to play in front of a small crowd for the first time on Saturday as they travel to Dingwall. Even the First Minister Nicola Sturgeon has said the experiment may not be repeated for several weeks at least. The only downside he can see is that fans won't be able to give him the customary abuse that fires him up, with restrictions on shouting and singing in place. Brown said, I'm a bit devastated by that. It's going to be weird for the fans as well, as they have to wear masks and won't be able to shout, so they're just sitting on their hands. It's going to be something different, but we're just going to have to deal with it. It's not going to change the way we play or the way we're going to set up. We obviously want the fans back in as soon as we can, but we have got to do what's best for the country. If Sturgeon says it's another month off, then so be it. From the Glasgow Times, date Friday the 11th of September 2020, from the news section, Glasgow remembers World Trade Centre victims and families on anniversary. By Deborah Anderson, Assistant News Editor. Families, victims and rescuers involved in the World Trade Centre tragedy have been remembered in prayers in Glasgow. 19 years ago, the Twin Towers collapsed after two hijacked planes were flown into them. The 9-11 attacks killed nearly 3,000 people in New York and Washington, including the loss of 67 British lives. Reverend Neil Galbraith of Glasgow's Catholic Old Parish Church, whose Glasgow Caring City Charity, had a special link up with the families of emergency service workers who had been involved in the rescue operation, remembered the tragic events in prayer. 
He said Paul would remember the terrible moments when the events of the day changed the world. It was also a day of pride when all those who protect, serve and care stood in awe and with pride applauded the demands, courage and passion of members of the profession as personified on that September morning by the officers of FDNY, NYPD, PAPD and others of amazing brothers and sisters of courage. He added the little care for their own welfare, they dro- drove themselves into those mighty towers with one sole purpose to save life and protect the injured. Mr Galbraith added, They cleaned floor after floor with heavy equipment and aided the injured who were unable to escape. Step by step, they claimed not knowing just how bad the situation was, but knowing that if they did reach the goal of reaching the outskirts of the burning jet fuel and the cascading force above them, in a state of exhaustion they would be facing carnage. As those brave uniformed souls fought ever upwards, they knew little if they were challenging terrorism accident or terrible unexplained nightmare that wreaked havoc in the heart of New York that early fall morning. The reason was not required in the emergency. Their purpose was to assist, to protect, to save, to face the terrors and hold them at bay, and to try and challenge the unchallengeable. Their purpose was to aid the many lives of those, and not count the cost that could and would be taken. Mr Gilbraith, who is also the chaplain for Police Scotland, through the charity to help the people of the Fire Department of New York and the Port Authority Police Department personnel. Over the years, families who had lost parents who perished in the line of duty, enjoyed trips to Scotland to help them heal after the tragedy. And that piece was by Deborah Anderson. Gerard details a rebel blow. Stephen Gerard has suffered a major blow after revealing Rangers playmaker Joe Aribo has been ruled out for up to six weeks. The midfielder started the season in sparkling form, but has not featured since last month's win over St Johnston because of an ankle knock. Now he is set for an even lengthier absence after being assessed by a specialist. Gerard said, Joe has had a setback. He's got a high ankle sprain at the moment and will be missing for four to six weeks. But we're really positive over that being four to six weeks, but we'll have to take it week by week. It's a big blow. During the early parts of the season, Joe was in magnificent form. He's a player rated very highly here and I'm sure he will be missed over the next four weeks. It's actually good news for us because we, when he had the setback in training, he had to go to see a specialist and there was a chance he might need surgery. Thankfully he doesn't and we might be able to get him back in four weeks time. So it's actually a positive situation as it could have been a lot worse. On the rest of his squad, Gerard continued, Katic has been to see a surgeon. That was very positive and he is happy with his progress. McGregor will have a scan on his knee over the weekend. Jones has returned with a small quad issue. Lytton, Barisic and Defoe are all back in full training. 
from the Glasgow Times that Friday the 11th of September 2020 from the news section Unused Lisa Jordan Hospital costs £30 million to set up and £2.4 million a month to run by David Ball, political correspondent Scotland's emergency COVID-19 hospital costs more than £30 million to set up and is tallying up monthly running costs of £2.4 million New statistics have revealed. In April, Glasgow's SEC venue was transformed into the NHS Louisa Jordan ahead of an anticipated tsunami of COVID-19 hospital patients, looking at trends in other European countries. But with Scotland's NHS boards creating enough capacity to cope with hospital admissions, no COVID-19 patients have been treated at the complex. The Scottish Government has kept the hospital open in case it needed it. In case it is needed over the winter months in the event of a se- second spike, while some medical procedures may take place at NHS Leisure Jordan as the NHS restart services. The site has also been used for training of hundreds of medical students and staff. New figures published by the Scottish Government show that the final build costs of the hospital were £30.9 million, including almost £4 million for beds. Balfour Beatty received £4.8 million, Care Construction were paid £4.4 million, and the RMF Health Limited were handed almost £7 million as construction contractors as part of the transformation. The data also shows that almost £2.4 million has been spent a month by the Scottish Government on keeping the hospital open, including £45,000 in staff pay. And that piece was by David Ball. Graeme McGarry says, Why Scott Brown won't be phased out of the Celtic team anytime soon? It can be a dangerous game to write off Scott Brown, and I would know. Like many others, I felt that the Celtic captain should have taken the opportunity of early semi-retirement a couple of years back and play out the rest of his career in the sunshine of Australia when the opportunity presented itself. He wasn't quite ready to be put out to pasture, but his hamstring problems and other fitness issues at the time led more than a few commentators and supporters to surmise that his best days were behind him. Instead, he signed a new Celtic contract, got stuck right back into the blood and thunder of Scottish football, and emerged with renewed vigour and a couple of trebles to his name. And fair play to him for that. Brown deserved huge credit for the way he roared back under Brendan Rodgers and then continued to be the standard bearer for the rest of the Celtic squad under Neil Lennon. The start of this season, though, has seen some of those old questions about Brown's place at the heart of the Celtic midfield arise once more. At 35 years of age now, there are those who are doubting whether the unquestionable influence that Brown has on those around him is enough to outweigh the supposed deficiencies that have crept into his game due to his advancing years. Indeed, my own colleague James Kearney 
produced a reasoned critique of Brown on this very back page last week, suggesting his lack of attacking output and it diminishing defensive contribution so far this term, albeit from a very limited sample size of just four Premiership matches, meant that it was time for Brown to be phased out of Lennon's starting eleven. Indeed, the succession plan for Brown's place not only on the field but off it is undoubtedly on the minds of the Celtic staff. Callum McGregor seems to have been groomed for the role, and although a vastly different character in terms of demeanour, he is already exhibiting the leadership qualities in a playing capacity and around the dressing room that mark him out as the obvious candidate to assume the position once Brown finally hangs up his boots. At the risk of sparking I roll around in the Herald office with my esteemed colleague Mr Kearney. I believe that moment is still some way off. One of the many privileges of being among the only people allowed into stadiums to actually watch football in the flesh, and one of the only upsides to having no supporters there alongside you, is that you get to hear what the players are saying to each other. It is perhaps no surprise that at Celtic matches, one voice is louder than all the others. Brown joked after Celtic's win at Tannadice that he can't wait for Crouse to come back so that his cajoling of teammates would once again be drowned out. But it has offered a fascinating insight into just how influential Brown is on those around him. It isn't just the cliché, get into them from the first minute and we've not started here, lads, stuff that you can hear on any Sunday league pitch either, although he does a fair line in that too. But oftentimes he is issuing specific instructions, either tactical or an edict to remove a finger from a certain orifice to individual teammates too. That mixture of constructive criticism and rough and ready motivation makes him an invaluable asset to Celtic, even in matches where he himself may not be playing all that well. But for me, the perception of the waning of his contribution in a footballing sense is also being overblown. Yes, Brown is no longer contributing much in an attacking sense, but that hasn't been his job description for years. I would fancy that his defensive stats though, which have admittedly dipped a little at the start of his term, will soon return to the levels that marked him out as one of the best deep-lying midfielders in the Premiership last season. When Brown was absent from the side through injury a year or so ago, there was a strong case that the partnership between McGregor and Olivier Nitchum at the base of midfield allowed the ball to be moved forward quicker than it had been and therefore made Celtic's wingers far more effective as a result. There is sound reasoning behind that theory, but there was little surprise that as soon as Brown was fit again, 
he was straight back into the side. It is hard to argue against that decision, given the success that followed, even if the quandary of accommodating the hugely talented Nitram in the side and keeping him happy is one that the Celtic manager must also wrestle with. With David Turnbull now also in the squad, that balancing act becomes harder as Lennon's options increase. Elsewhere in these pages, Brown has insisted that he feels 21 again. If anyone on the fringes is looking to gatecrash the starting eleven this season on a regular basis, it would be a brave man who would count on it being at the expense of Brown. Having been burned once, that man won't be me. From the Glasgow Times, date Friday the 11th of September 2020. From the news section, coronavirus, pupils and staff self-isolating at Johnston High School. By Emma Sabliak, multimedia journalist. Pupils and staff have been instructed to self-isolate after a small number of cases identified at high school. NHS testing protects staff are carrying out contact tracing at Johnson High School in Renfrewshire. Parents and carers with a child at the school were contacted on Thursday. A statement from Renfrewshire Council confirmed any close contacts of those who tested positive for coronavirus have already been informed. The statement added, the household members of any contacts that have been identified since Monday the 7th of September have also been asked to self-isolate due to new local restrictions announced by the Scottish Government and will be giving appropriate support and advice. Working closely with the NHS, we will continue to monitor the situation and take any further action as required. NHS Greater Glasgow and Cloud are the lead agency and advisor in there are robust control measures are in place and the school remains safe to remain open as normal. Due to patient confidentiality, no further details will be released. And that article is by Emma Sabliak. Scott Brown says, Great transfer window for Celtic. As the only two members of the Celtic squad to have played a part in every season of the current nine-in-a-row run, Scott Brown and James Forrest have counted them into the dressing room and counted a fair number of them out. Brown, as Celtic captain, is especially well positioned to offer his appraisal of the current squad and how capable this squad of players are of rising to the challenges ahead. And in his view, Neil Lennon and Head of Recruitment Nicky Hammond have Celtic in a stronger position now than they were going into this prolonged transfer window. Shane Duffy is the latest arrival on a season-long loan from Brighton, joining goalkeeper Vasilis Barkas, midfielder David Turnbull and striker Albion Ajeti as the new boys on the block. Moy Elenusi, meanwhile, rejoined the squad from Southampton. For Brown, the skill set and competition that they bring to the party means that Celtic will very likely be celebrating once more 
come the end of this hugely significant campaign. Brown said, It's been a great transfer window for us. We have signed four or five now. They have all come in and strengthened the squad. They just need some game time to get themselves going. We're looking forward to seeing everyone fully fit. It will be a great squad with great competition. That's what the manager wants. He wants competition from the lads, whether it's a goalie, a striker, a centre midfielder, a centre half. He wants everyone to have competition. So the standard of training is tip-top as well. Given his own no-nonsense demeanour, it is perhaps unsurprising that Brown has immediately been impressed by the cut of Duffy's jib since checking in at the club earlier this week. And he reckons that the centre-half's lifelong allegiance to Celtic can be no bad thing either. Said Brown, he's a great lad. He spoke really well the last couple of days to all the lads. He's a big strong lad who has played English Premier League and Republic of Ireland. It's great for us because it's another leader at the back. He's strong, he's aggressive in the air. And the manager felt we needed to bring in another centre-half and that's what he's done. We've found a fantastic centre-half. He wants to be here, he loves Celtic. It's always been his dream to play for Celtic. It's amazing to have that opportunity. He has played in the English Premier League and wants to come to us, which shows you what a big club Celtic is. For him to be a boyhood fan and play for the club he loves, it must mean a lot to him. For him to come along here and play for the lads, it means a lot to us too. While the experience of Duffy is a welcome addition to the Celtic ranks. Brown is also enthused by the arrival of a man at the other end of his career arc, as Turnbull has adjusted to the step up from Motherwell with ease. He said, he's been great since coming in. He's not trained too much, but I've seen some great glimpses. He worked hard and is an honest boy. As a Scottish lad coming to Celtic, he knows what it's all about. Having been on the other side as well, he knows what it means to everyone else to try to beat Celtic. I like that he always looks forward. He's got great touch and awareness. I'm looking forward to playing alongside him. I saw he said he wanted to emulate me. Is that a compliment of a sign of age? Maybe a bit of both. I was an attacking midfielder when I came in as well, so maybe I'll pull him back a bit. He's a great lad who is willing to learn, and he has that ability to change a game. At Motherwell he scored and created a lot of chances, so he is hoping he can do even more with us. Turnbull will also have to handle the change in expectancy that comes with playing for one side of the old firm. But after fighting back from the knee problem that derailed his move to Celtic last summer, to prove his worth once more, Brown has no doubts over his ability to shoulder that responsibility. Brown said, I came in and drew at Kilmarnock in my first game, so I found out right away from Gordon Strachan that you must win every week here. 
A point is not good enough. You would accept that at Hibs at the time, but not here. As the fans expect us to win every single game, week in, week out. There's always going to be bumps along the way, but it's about how you bounce back. We have been unbelievable at it over the years. We have maybe been poor in a game, but then won 10 or 11 on the trot. We need to make sure we get back to doing that. But from what I've seen, Turnbull has that winning mentality. We're looking forward to seeing him. He's a very strong person. You're going to need that here. You need to take the stick as well as the pats on the back. But you need to believe in your own ability. It's a great story. He almost signed, goes away and gets two operations and comes back in great shape and gets the move to us. It's a dream come true for him. And that was this week's Glasgow Times. Thanks for listening.